Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Race, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 6, Captive Pursuit, teleplayed by Jill Sherman Donner and Michael Piller, and directed by Corey Allen. This episode aired on January 31st, 1993. This week on Deep Space Nine, O'Brien helps an alien from the Gamma Quadrant as hunters descend on the station searching for their humanoid prey. So Elise, what did you think of Captive Pursuit? Um, I found this, I really liked this episode a lot. Um, It was a lot of fun. Um, It gave me a lot to think about. I thought it was weird that at the beginning of the episode that um, one of Cork's uh, Dabo girls was complaining to Cisco about sexual harassment and how it was, like, in her contract. And yeah. then it, like, never got mentioned again. <laughs> I mean, I guess Cisco said he was going to take care of it, but... Yeah, and I just think it was an interesting choice to have that kind of in the, like teaser of like the episode kind of setting it up and then not come back to it especially when we have some really kind of fun quirk stuff and like the rest of the episode so it, it's kind of like i don't know i don't it's a choice it just hit me that could it be that they're trying to compare the fact that quirk had that in the contract and this and this person didn't know the entire episode is about somebody who kind of is in a situation that they don't really have control over and maybe it was trying to make a connection between those two no i i like that read i just don't know if the if we're how much credit we're, we're, we're no. giving the episode <laughs> yeah. in, in like regards to that too right because and not to i guess jump ahead too far in our discussion mm-hmm. but like in like re-watching the episode this morning in anticipation of like recording I am still trying to work through how much agency and choice that Tosk has right in in this whole situation and like how much the like the choices he make the choices he makes are fully his choice and I guess yeah no I I, I can see what you're saying I just I don't I don't know if the episode's <laughs> that sophisticated no, to draw those kind fair. of parallels but I like that read We'll go with it. We'll pretend. Pretend they were being smart. Um, So if you or anyone you know is um, a contract lawyer, please write to us and let us know if sexual harassment within a contract is um, legal. I I would really like to know. I'm going to go with probably not. I hope not. (laughs) I would hope not as well, but you you never know. There's some crazy crazy things going know on your rights know so, your rights anyway. yeah that the intro really just kind of that part made me like vomit a little bit i was like this is kind of gross um but i guess this goes just gonna take care of it we're, we're supposed to trust that that's getting taken care of so i also i i don't know if you agree with me but i think that tosk is non-binary only Cisco and O'Brien refer to Tosk as he, and Tosk never says anything gendered throughout the entire episode and is only ever referred to as Tosk by those that know th- them. So I kind of read 
read it that way. What do you think? No, uh, that makes sense. And I, I really like love that reading. And I think it's like a lot of things in, in Star Trek. I think it's kind of accidental a little bit on yeah, I don't of, think it was of, of the writers and things like that. But no, I think that that, that real, I, I do really like that read and I can, I can, I can co-sign and, and get on board with that. And then too, like like with that being said, it is kind of unfortunate then that Cisco and O'Brien then just give Tosk pronouns when right. Tosk hasn't when Tosk doesn't have pronouns. You know what I mean? Yeah. I um I was reading in Memory Alpha and the way that the writers talked about Tosk, they also gave Tosk a gender, so I'm sure that they did not do any of it on purpose. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think it's it's like it's interesting too, I guess, to like what well, listeners were assuming that you've you've watched the episode at least at some point before before listening to, for for listening to this podcast. But the I like it kind of does reinforce that like gender is a construct, um, because Tosk is again, he's a, a created like a bread a bread being right and like there was no there was no need or was deemed no need for tosk to have have a gender right Right. and it's just the idea that like gender is fake (laughs) i mean no it's not fake (laughs) um but like it is it is it is a construct which is distinct from from biological sex so on and so on and so forth right so Mm -hmm. i think that's that is that's a great read that's a great read it's a that's a good call out at least and this is also our first kind of real kind of meaty chief o'brien episode so far since you know six six or seven depending how we want to want to count it because the pilot kind of counts as episodes one and two of of deep space nine so how did you feel about uh, miles this week so this is where i admit that i don't remember how to pronounce the actor's name that plays miles is it like calm yeah yeah calm calm um, Colmini, I think. Yeah, okay. Um, Colmini, I think he was so great in this episode. He was like, he just played Miles really empathetic and really understanding and wanting to be helpful, but he, it was just really believable. And it, I just think he did such a great job. And he just trying to comfort Tosk and, um, explain what was going on in the station but but also reading Tosk's behavior to understand that something weird was going on in any case I just felt that the portrayal was really believable and that he just did a really excellent job in this episode yeah and and I think too that this was one of um his favorite episodes in in the first season that he's you know been on on the record as and I can definitely see why because it like gave gave him a lot to um kind of dig into in terms of his performance and I think one of my favorite things about the performance is the slight variations when O'Brien first meets Tosk and Tosk is you know being quiet and inquisitive and looking around and and O'Brien's doing a lot of the talking but like it also is that kind of friendly investigation trying to um assess the the situation and you know determine if tosk is lying and like what tosk isn't saying and so on and so forth so o'brien definitely has an agenda in that way to kind of get to know tosk and then report back to to commander cisco but as the episode progresses and 
miles and tasks start to form kind of that genuine connection and relationship you can see the the change in um the performance where it's less <laughs> I was gonna say, you can see the change in the performance where it's less performative but like, I think early early on when when o'brien and tosk meet o'brien is like dialing dialing up i think parts of himself to like, oh, yeah, keep the conversation sure. going and things like that and then mm-hmm. it like it feels like that kind of unnatural in a way when like you're meeting someone for the first time and they're kind of quiet so you feel like you have to talk a lot to like avoid awkward silences that that was how i wouldn't it felt know anything me. about that no no neither yeah. would i neither would i neither would i <laughs> and then it it shifts which yeah. I liked. do you think um like obviously the writers wanted um o'brien to be the person um to do this but like I really felt like they showed how it was the calculating choice by Cisco to choose O'Brien to do, to meet him, to meet um, Tusk yeah. and yeah. not have um, the normal um, first contact rules. Not to put you on the spot, but what do you think was Cisco's? what do you think made him decide to do that? To like have one person go instead of, you know, everyone that would normally well, I think, um, practically speaking, it's because that's what the plot needed. Because it wanted to be an O'Brien episode. Well, obviously, um, but, yeah. <laughs> but in the universe, I think Cisco, we've talked about before, being a a very um, shrewd negotiator and kind of a a very aware commander and, and, and leader, is he recognized the ways in which Miles kind of disarmed Tosk about, you know, the tractor beam and, like, talked him into letting the crew of of deep space nine help tosk and so he saw the change there in tosk and kind of the disarming and you know tosk putting it putting their guards down a bit with o'brien to see that that would that that rapport could could be developed and fostered and ultimately benefit both the station and learning more about Tosk, but then also Tosk being willing to to share because there was some kind of you know connection that could could be grown and, and cultivated, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's why why Ben did it. That makes sense. I also find it interesting, and again, I, I get it's because it's what the plot needs. But the idea that you can you know you have all these rules about protocol for first contact and you know the the prime directive in star trek but you know not interfering in the development of other cultures and and different things like that and it's it's a very star trek thing to just say we have these things let's ignore them (laughs) (laughs) or we have these things and we need to follow them because that's where the drama is coming from in the episode but right you know did they ever give the helmet guys a species name or an actual name like i just felt like they never really referred to them as anything yeah it, it doesn't and i think that maybe that's because one of the formal first pro- contact protocols is to say hey what's what's the name of your species um <laughs> fair and i think they're just referred to in the script as like the hunters and then the lead hunter i think is just called first hunter um, okay so you have tosk as as the the quote-unquote prey um right. both being the name the species and and everything else and then the the hunters is is what the name that they're given kind of in the script and in the lore. I'm I don't know if like in some of the like um, the books I don't know if they get a, a species a, a particular species name. I don't I don't know about that. But I think 
colloquially they're just just the hunters and that's definitely what that makes sense any other initial thoughts um no i don't think so so yeah let's uh we've already kind of started the the discussion of the episode a bit so let's 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 dive in and then we can go from there tusk is basically the first visitor from the other side of the wormhole um so it's a big deal that there's that he that they came there um obviously the uh toss comes and there's something wrong with his Obviously, Toss comes and there's something wrong with their ship and they need help. And O'Brien is trying to calm Toss down to get him to dock. Yeah, and it's interesting too. So this is the first, like obviously you said that this is the first visitor from the, the Gamma Quadrant. And he saw, ostensibly saw a runabout when he was on the on the run in the hunt and then went through the the wormhole and ended up where he didn't expect so it's, it's always interesting to me especially in early deep space nine where they have this concept of the gamma quadrant and the wormhole and this new region to explore where we can you know bring in new alien species and things like that and the way in which like what the crew of deep space nine finds on the other side of the wormhole um and you know right now it is very much kind of planet of the week but like alien of the week now this this episode very much coming to to deep space nine instead of you know the enterprise stumbling upon you know toss ship or going to a planet and and finding out that um you know what what the hunt is and, and getting involved in that way and then you know having the moral conflict this was kind of opposite where tosk shows up And O'Brien is showing Tosk around the station and explaining how they live and what Deep Space Nine is for. And Tosk is commenting on the Starfleet and Bajoran space stations um, values and culture and the way that works rather than Starfleet commenting on this species that they've encountered for the first time on their other on their planet, like you said. So it's interesting how, you know, Tosk only needs 17 minutes of sleep per rotation and doesn't need food. And it just is interesting how efficient (laughs) their species is. Um, Basically, Tosk comments that it's wild that O'Brien has free time (laughs) and rests while they're awake. And it just seems like Tosk's species does not care about any of that. Doesn't care or weren't created to care like yeah that's where it gets like complicated for me and like i guess then if you're okay just to to jump ahead a bit we find out later in the episode that like tosks species that all the all of the tosks toskuses um have been bred <laughs> Tosca, by the well you could say Tosky or something all the Tosky <laughs> have been genetically created assuming assumedly by the hunters to right. be a prey species, right? They have been genetically engineered to be hunted and be entertainment for the hunter species and to provide to provide a challenge. And that's why why they only need seventeen minutes of sleep. That's why they're why Toss right. are able are able to store, you know, nutrients inside and, and things like that in the bare minimum. So it's not it's not something that the toss guy have 
evolved through natural selection to to be that way they've been designed that way for the express purpose of serving the hunters and serving and living for the hunt and that game and that challenge even the hunters giving the hunters or whomever i mean this we assume it's the hunters but i guess someone someone else could have uh genetically engineered the the toss guy um but giving them the level of sentience that they have to make the hunt more exciting and more challenging for for the hunters is um really problematic <laughs> yeah it's not right? great <laughs> it, it, it's like you're ostensibly creating a slave race right yeah like mm-hmm. it's not great no thank you i don't like it no 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 thank you no more please stop. yeah i was reading up and um the episode was inspired by a short story called the most dangerous game um it's basically this is i got this from wikipedia but a big game hunter from new york city falls off a yacht and swims to what appears to be an abandoned and isolated island in the Caribbean. And then um, he's hunted by a Russian aristocrat. And that story was based on the big hunting safaris that rich Americans like to go to do in uh, Africa and South America. We still kind of see that happening today. Um, Cue that one picture of uh, Don Jr. and Eric Trump. That makes me cry. Um, but yeah, so I feel like it's interesting that it's commenting on something that actually happens in, in our real world. And it just all around makes me sad. Yeah. And, and this episode really just like dials up the, the unscrupulousness of like big game trophy hunting to 11 by making Tosk a sentient being right right right. and like the ethics of like small game hunting for the purpose of like using the the whole animal and unlike different things like you know like like let's say like something like a deer versus like just hunting an elephant for like the ivory tusks yeah yeah you know things like that like yeah it's one thing if you're going i mean i'm a meat eater like i it's one thing if you're going to utilize the meat to to eat to clothe yourself things like that like i i i think that's different from what this is yeah this is just for for sport and just like all the rules that the hunter society has for the tosk um for tosk for the tosk guy um about not being able to share the details of the hunt not being able to like you know, ask for help and just like, it really makes me, and I think this is where the episode wants us to feel this way. Oops, sorry, I just punched my mic. Um, I think the episode wants us to feel this way and the characters certainly feel this way on Deep Space Nine um, where they're conflicted about how, how involved they're able to be from an ethical standpoint in stopping their involvement in the hunt, saving Tosk as a as a sentient, um, sentient being, and like it's it's very clear that from Cisco all the way down, that the crew of Deep Space Nine are pretty much disgusted. I think about yeah, the whole idea of of hunting sentient beings, right? Right. Mm-hmm. 
but they still end up for a lot of it talking about the prime directive which again is this very um starfleet rule that comes up in star trek a lot and you know not to not to go too far down the rabbit hole on prime directive discourse but it basically says at a really high level is you're not a starfleet and the federation aren't allowed to interfere in you know internal matters in in other cultures right whether largely it's like pre-warp civilizations but also like post-warp civilizations they don't interfere like you know the Klingon civil war in, in star trek the next generation as an example the federation couldn't get involved in that conflict until there's proof of romulan involvement and then they were able to to get involved to a certain degree um right, right? and like the prime directive in star trek is a, as a concept exists to create drama and narrative tension because sometimes they follow it and sometimes they break it i don't <laughs> i'm sure teams. there's a yeah i'm sure there's an, a, a twitter account or something somewhere that like <laughs> lists all the times the prime director was broken versus the I, times it's followed i, I think i feel like it's broken more a, than it's followed yeah, i think you just created a new twitter project for yourself yeah if, i'm if sure it probably exist. exists somewhere <laughs> listeners if tweeted us uh or there's a free idea too if you if you want to do it just just give us credit if you're starting it um like cisco kind of reads the first hunter the the riot act a bit about how reprehensible it is and how humanity used to hunt lower species for sport but now we don't in the the 24th century and still like is going to turn Tosk over because Tosk is in in custody because as part of the game he tried to gain access to the weapon one of the weapons lockers on on the station too. That's what gets Tosk in in trouble and then incarcerated and that's where he's being held when the the hunters show up and there's that that firefight um, on the promenade. Yes, I I I yes. So I found that that fight on the promenade to be interesting because there's a scene where Kira goes to give Odo a phaser and he says thanks Major you know I never use them and I don't think I've ever realized until now that Odo doesn't use phasers like is he completely against using weapons yeah he doesn't like guns I felt like I never realized that in all of my watching every episode of Deep Space Nine. Um, I feel like since he is the constable on Deep Space Nine, that this is something I need to think about because, you know, not using weapons is something that I think is great. Um, but also, as we've said before, we have very complicated Odo feeling. Yeah, and this just adds to it, right? So it's like <laughs> the idea of our sheriff character... <laughs> being against guns is is very good and not feeling the need to like carry a firearm is awesome and like especially you know what what we know like what what happens with policing in our own world and and firearms and you know murder right that that, that at the hands of of the police um but then at the same time, Odo like doesn't believe in civil rights, so yeah. it's like <laughs> well, also Odo continues the... to be a mixed bag. But I also feel like Odo doesn't need to carry a gun because a gun can't hurt him. So I feel like it's. I'm not saying that I agree or disagree with that, but he can just like change, and then the gun, the, like a bullet would go through him. So he, I just feel like. 
I don't want to give him too much credit. Is basically what I I'm mean, trying we don't, to say. We don't know that for sure necessarily, right? And like, two, we have to remember that like, were there like these aren't firearms with like a propellant. These are are like yeah. phase energy weapons, right? <laughs> Which like I don't think Odo can shapeshift around that. Like Odo still is matter, and he is able to change his form and take the like you know. Yeah, take different I don't, shapes I don't and remember. different things like that, but... Yeah, I actually don't remember if there's scenes where someone shoots at him, to be honest, and what happens, so maybe maybe we can cut that, because it doesn't really... Maybe I don't really have proof, but it just seems like he would be able to figure something out, or, like, move out of the way quicker than other beings, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think that makes sense if it's, like, a projectile bullet, like, because right. I'm pretty sure in the pilot... Um, when Nog and that other alien are, are breaking into that old store or whatever. Right, right. There's, like, the guy throws, like, some kind of, like, heavy weapon and it Ma- Odo phases through it. I think that's what um, I was thinking of, actually, that scene. Yeah, so, like, I think, like, a bullet would, like, would go through, but, like, not a phaser. And I know right. that for a fact because listeners, if you're watching along the first time feel free to skip ahead about 30 seconds or 45 seconds. But Miroto gets shot with a phaser in the crossover episode. Oh. Whenever in the first yeah, crossover episode. So yeah, cause he's the overseer and when they're escaping, he gets, he gets shot and he like explodes. Right. So I know for sure a phaser can, can <laughs> kill Odo because okay. it killed Miroto. Um, All right. So I guess Elise, I will put you on the spot a little. Oh no. And what, <laughs> when we get into kind of the the moral dilemma which is i feel like a very star trek thing about to follow the prime directive or to not follow the prime directive kira comes up with this really good idea of how they can not give tosk over to to the hunters and that kira suggests that what if tosk asked for asylum and cisco says to the crew and says to like o'brien that like he basically he implies he would grant tosk asylum but Tosk, as a sentient humanoid, would have to ask for it himself. So O'Brien goes to Tosk with this getting out of jail free card, or not being turned over to the hunter's free card, <laughs> and explains what asylum is, and says all Tosk needs to do is ask for, ask, ask for asylum, and Tosk chooses not to. So my question to you is twofold. Firstly, how did you feel about this scene? And secondly, do you think Tosk is in a position in which he can actually make that choice that he's being asked to to be made? I don't think Tosk knows what that kind of life would look like. So maybe doesn't doesn't even consider it, if that makes sense. Like Tosk's entire life has been for this one thing. And I don't think enough has happened to get Tosk off of that journey that they've been traumatized toward i don't know i feel like there's so much toss's entire life has been traumatic whether they're aware of it or not because they've been bred for this hunt and i feel like not i'm not a psychology expert or anything like that but you do start to believe that your trauma is i think after a certain period you've you might feel like you deserve that or that is how you should be treated. 
So I don't, even though I think Toss could clearly say, okay, yeah, let's do that. I don't think there's enough depth there for them to make that other choice because of how they've been bred for this. Yeah, it's it's complicated, right? Because <laughs> It is complicated. I don't want to speak out of turn like I'm not a doctor or anything, but I just I just feel like too much, you know, has Tosk would need a lot of therapy before making the other decision. Yeah, and and I think there's like definitely a, a layer of like I don't know if it's like false consciousness or or like whatever it's like toss just accepts and has been genetically designed and engineered this way to basically accept his oppression and his purpose in life is to give the hunters the best hunt they can and then ultimately to either defeat them or die right and like he wants like his metric of kind of success and like a good life is to die in giving the hunters the best hunt they can have. And even though that at this point isn't going to be his fate, he is going to be taken back and basically be put in a zoo um, to be ridiculed as being a, a failed Tosk. Um, he still wants to be a Tosk. And, and that's what it is to him too. And it's just like, there is a level, and I think because Tosk is a sentient species um sentient humanoid that like he could learn and could adapt and like grow beyond his programming but it's just really i just find it like really sad in a way that like he isn't isn't able to yet and like that's like he's just resigned to to his fate and like but then i start wondering well then am i breaking the prime directive too and then judging another culture based on my own preconceived notions and and biases like so i do think i do think there's a moral argument here and i and i fall with o'brien on on the moral argument there and i think that's the side the episode wants us to pick wants us to to pick and that's what it's 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 advocating for when we're talking about kind of different cultural practices i do think that there is or can be depending on on the practice like a kind of universal morality that like i don't it's just but then at the same time i'm like then them am i being like but that whole idea of that attitude comes from this 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 white colonizer perspective that like i that like we have to kind of fight against and then unpack and stuff too right because like that that path of logic has been used to perpetuate genocide literal or cultural for thousands of years too right so i think the moral dilemma of this episode as you really start digging into it is is a really complicated and interesting one and this is part of why i like doing this show with you so much at least is like i've seen this episode a bunch of times and i've never quite thought about it as deeply as we're, we're talking and thinking about it now right because right. like on his face value it's just like a pretty classic star trek episode that yeah. like isn't it's great the- but it's not it's not a bad one it's not like a a great all-timer but there's a lot here kind of to dig into um yeah i don't i mean i'd only seen it once before this week so i really don't remember what i thought last time it's interesting because i was reading online 
how the writers and creators of Deep Space Nine, this was one of their favorite episodes of the season. And it's just interesting. And I, I don't know if they said how late after the episode aired, they said that, you know, it could have been years later or whatever. But I just think that it's... They really thought they were doing something interesting. And it is, but I don't know if... I lost my train of thought on that. So O'Brien decides after having a heart to heart with Quirk the Barkeep that he needs I, to real quick the... I did love that he kept calling him Barkeep the whole episode and Quirk is like, No, I'm your host and I was just like I didn't remember if he calls him Barkeep forever, but I, I really hope he does. Just because it bothers Quark so much. Well, and as we know, Quark could serve to be a little bit more bothered. Um, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your um Oh, no worries, no worries, no worries. So after kind of a heart-to-heart with his barkeep slash host slash very kind of, you know, bartender <laughs> sort of tropes and, and moments there, <laughs> O'Brien finds a way out of these, these rules and this game that they're locked in of, of the hunt and the, the prime directive and the, you know, just, a, just a way, a way forward for this kind of catch 22 that they all find themselves in. And he decides to change the rules of the game or the conditions of the test to um, quote, quote Star Trek two and the, the Koyashi Maru. Um, <laughs> he basically has a way where he is going to help Tosk escape and he he does and the the hunt he says the hunters want to hunt so he he gives them a hunt and basically when cisco and odo realize what's going on um they basically like let it happen like they they move to stop it but but yep. very slowly so i guess at least how did you feel about how the moral dilemma of the episode gets resolved i feel like i can't tosk's two options are go back and be ridiculed or continue on what he's supposed to be doing. I don't think that either of those things are great. I guess them helping Tosk escape so that the hunt can go on longer helps Tosk have more honor, but it's still to, and this might be my, you know, my perspective is that doesn't seem like the best way to live. Because you're constantly being hunted, and I mean everything we've set up until now, the con- you know the consent issues and the fact that Tusk has been bred for this. So I feel like, I guess they all chose to help have a result where Tusk has is free for a little bit longer, and I guess that's better than nothing. But I I still feel like neither outcome is great. Right. No. That. I totally agree and and like there's something very there's something very Star Trek about the way forward being not the worst outcome but maintaining the status quo which is right also not a good outcome right um but yeah I guess it's the the best way forward for the conundrum and like I guess the the hopeful part and again because it's is very much a alien of the week episode of Star Trek. We don't really ever find out what happens to to Tosk, but I was wondering. I guess there's further opportunity for us as an audience to, and for O'Brien to have hope that like maybe Tosk will return and be at a point where he is 
out of that kind of cage of perceptives that he was created and like bred and socialized into and would ask for asylum and, and wants to live beyond the um societal and cultural norms and expectations of the hunt so i guess that's kind of a, a hopeful read that maybe a seed is has been planted that that toss that will germinate and tosk and um he won't just end up being on the run forever i like to think that maybe there's a tosk planet somewhere that the hunters can't find where they can all just hide out together and have their own society while not being found by their hunters um do you think that this, 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 the way that this works is that there's like one group of hunters and one tusk at a time? Or do you think that it's like someone goes and commissions and says, I want to go on a hunt and the, they're like, okay, well, this is the next tusk that's up or just, it just ritually keeps going and going without anyone saying, Hey, I want to play the hunt this week. I don't know. I just feel like there's so many things about the way this works that I would be interested in and knowing. And I don't think that they needed to be in this episode, but I have a lot of questions about the logistics. There really are answers. (laughs) No, they're not. I guess the best way to, I guess the best to the hunters and maybe... Do you think the hunters would be disappointed or happy if they never, like, what if the toss just dies of old age? Like, what? Yeah, and I do toss. Like, I wonder what the lifespan of of a right. toss would be. Right. <laughs> like, is is it like um the clone the clone troopers in Star Wars? Right. In which they like you know age. Well, with the exception of spoiler alert, Boba Fett. <laughs> um, spoilers for two thousand a film from two thousand and two, Attack of the Clones. Um, but like where they're aged up faster than like an old Tosk is like fifteen years old or, or, or something like that, right? right like right. I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I just feel like I want there to be like a Tosk, as I said before, just a place where they're all hanging together, not not caught. Maybe the hunters of that hunt have died already and. No one else is looking for them. I don't know. I just... The Tosk seemed really... I felt... I felt like I really liked Tosk. So I just want the best for them. Was there anything else you wanted to to cover from the episode before we moved into the the other segments? Um, not really. I just wanted to note that I um, was laughing when Odo was spying on Tosk and was... uh, Had changed into a painting. And I was like, I should probably keep start keeping track of all the items that Odo transforms into like the latinum bag and the um pilot and then the rat mouse I can't remember. I think it was a rat in the um, the episode with um Tanalos right. I just thought that was funny maybe that's a twitter account project you can use <laughs> what what did has oh. Odo shapeshifted into oh that's a good idea I can like do it along with um Maybe I can do it on our Twitter and just have it along with our episodes as we release them. There you go. Listeners, this is this is how the sausage gets made. <laughs> <laughs> you are all now currently in the room where it happens. <laughs> but the real question is, does Odo ever change into a sausage? 
Sorry, I'm just very eat, much no, amusing. Yeah, myself. no, we're gonna we're not going down that rabbit hole. We're not going down that rabbit hole. I meant like an actual sausage, not like you know, a penis or whatever. <laughs> I, I didn't even think about that. Really. Okay. Uh, now I'm once again thinking about the Star Trek card that went viral. That is a picture of Odo's first intimate moment. Oh um, God. Speaking of intimate moments, now's time for one of our regular scheduled segments, the Altair Water Thirst Quencher. Altair Water being mentioned by Dr. McCoy in Star Trek 3, and we need our thirst quencher because we are thirsty bitches. So, Elise, who are you thirsting after this week? So, I'm going to just come out and say that I thought Tosk had really nice eyes, and I was really into their look. And, like, you know... Tusk was real cute. I just felt like... Thick king. Tusk is a thick king. Yeah, like, I just want to, like, cuddle with Tusk a little bit. I don't know. This is really silly, but, like, I just really liked the colors they chose for for Tusk's costume. And the, like, yellow eyes with the kind of lizardy eyes. I was into it. Um, I also found... O'Brien's empathy in this episode to really work for me. Um, He was doing what was right by him, regardless of how it affected him. Like, when he was helping Tosk escape, he did not know that Sisko had told Odo to kind of, like, slow down in in stopping him. So, I just felt like he was really principled in that moment, and that's just... We love a principled man, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we do, don't we, folks? Um, in terms of me and, and who I am thirsting after this episode, shout out to the Bullion woman who got kicked out of Quarks for cheating. Um, they had a great outfit on. I I want I want to see more more of them. I don't I don't think we ever will. But uh, the Bullion woman who cheated at Quarks caught my eye. Also, again, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't have a thirst-quenching section on an episode of Pod Race in which Jad Zia Dax and Julian Bashir didn't get mentioned. Um, both didn't get a lot a lot to do in this week's episode, but during you know one of our, our staff meetings where they're, they're talking about what to do in the Prime Directive, um, Jad Zia is kind of leaning against her, her one console <clears throat> standing up, has, has her hand on her hip, and it worked for me. And then, I mean... Julian is is Julian and I thought it was also kind of kind of charming in that that moment where they're having the staff meeting about what to do maybe a little bit earlier um he's like lots of people like to talk to their doctors maybe I should talk to Toss because <laughs> I think he's a little low-key jealous that that Miles is building rapport with the the new the new visitor from the Gamma Quadrant one, so one thing I've known Julian had no, FOMO no no one thing I've noticed about Julian is he loves to be included in everything and I feel like I really relate to that. Like, I hate being left out. And I feel like Julian and I are kindred spirits in that way. <laughs> I, wonder if, I wonder what his star sign is. Do we know I'm going to find out. Is? Let's Probably see. Not. I'm going to look it up. And while you're looking that up, I will submit my suggestions for most Star Trek thing or most Star Trek moment this episode. And I have two. Um, first one being when O'Brien's about to break Tosk out and some shit's about to go down. He takes off his comm badge, both to, to not be tracked, to not be able to, 
you know, here when Cisco says, hey, what are you doing? Stop. And then also when he's acting as an individual, not as a Starfleet officer, that's a very kind of dramatic um, Star Trek trope. And then also, the we've talked about it before, but the, the Prime Directive as a plot device and a challenge that our characters have to, to navigate and then get around by changing the rules. I... Did we, do we have an update on Julian's birthday? Yes, his birthday is August 29th, so he's a Virgo. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to look into, you know, sign compatibility. <laughs> uh, um, only he'd been born like a week earlier. I know, I was Leon. like... And that would have that would have worked too. But I guess the perfectionist <laughs> thing I can see too. <laughs> um, I feel like that would have definitely been funny because I feel like there are a lot of similar qualities of Leo's and Aries, which I'm Aries. Matt is Leo, and if Julian was Leo, it would just make a lot of sense, I think. <laughs> uh, not to out your, your Star Trek moment. Not to out your star sign on the podcast. <laughs> um, it was just our our friends interacting with a species that they didn't understand or didn't have the same values. Um, that is a very Star Trek thing to me, like learning about a different culture that does things completely different from how you do. So that, would, that right. was the most Star Trek thing to me this week. Well, Lisa, I, I think we did it. I think so. Yeah. So until, until next time, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Podwraiths, P-O-D, W-R-A-I-T-H-S. Great. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at MattyHugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch me talking about Mad Men on my Mad Men podcast, Still Great Bob. At the time of this recording, we just finished season three, and we'll be diving into my favorite season of Mad Men shortly, season four. Please remember to rate and review the pod race on the podcasting review catching system of your choice. Thank you to DJ Empirical for our very interstellar theme song. And until next week, computer and program. Bye.